uh, Sarah to come and uh, bring the reading. Luke 7, first 10 chapters, first 10 chapters. That's going to be a good morning, isn't it? (laughs) In for a long haul. First 10 verses of Luke chapter 7. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. Your word brings life. Your word brings truth. Your word brings hope. Your word brings purpose. And today, Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, we reflect on what it is that you would have for us this morning. We pray that by your spirit within us, you would minister to us as we reflect on your word. More than just information, we desire to be transformed into the people you've called us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What a, what a great story in, uh, in this Gospel of Luke. And we're up to week five in this uh, sermon series. We've called it Everybody's Welcome. Now, the reason why we've done that is because uh, Luke in particular, we've got the four Gospels, Luke in particular was written to non-Jews with the emphasis the, with the fact that everybody, everybody is, is welcome. Uh, into the kingdom of God, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for a select group of people, everybody. And so from basically uh, before Christmas, where we we started in in Luke 1, right through until Easter, we're going to be uh, just working our way through the the gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at at stories that are unique that are not found in any of the other Gospels. We're going to be looking at stories of people that have been touched and transformed by 
the grace of, of Jesus Christ. And particularly as, as this is a letter that's written to, to Gentiles or non-Jews, um, this is uh, good news for everybody. Now, if you were here last week, we had a, a, a great week as we looked at um, Luke 2, the sec- second part of Luke 2, straight after the birth of Jesus, where Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus uh, to Jerusalem to be consecrated and they met Simeon and Anna. Remember that? And it was just fantastic to be able to uh, reflect on these people who have just waited, waited uh, for a moment such as, as this. And we, we talked, and I used, I used the word stellar. I said, these are stellar people. Simeon and Anna, patiently waiting, focusing on what God would have for, uh, for them by introducing them to Jesus. And it seems that throughout the Bible that, that records these people who just seem to stand out because of their, their faith, their, their patience, and their resilience. And I'm sure all of us, if we were to think about it, can think of people who have impacted us with those same qualities. Now, these may have been people who have, who have led you to Christ. They may have been leaders that have, have led you at a certain time. They may have just been just good people whom you've just been inspired by. Surely we've all got some people like that in our, in our lives and it's, it's encouraging. And even though we, we don't idolise them, it's an opportunity to be inspired by, by faith. And we re, as we, we read through the Gospels, we see that there are purposely stories of these pe- people of such quality interacting with, with Jesus. And so it's, it's quite interesting. We're moving from last week, chapter 2. We're already now at chapter 7 already. So it'd be great to be able to go through chapter by chapter, but we'd spend the whole year in the book of Luke, but we're just focusing on particular stories. So that's why we're up to chapter 7. And here's Jesus, and he's in Capernaum. And he meets another one of these fantastic people who stand out from the rest of the crowd. And we read this in Luke 7, 1 to 10, as Sarah has just read. Now, this person, the centurion, is given a fair bit of space by Luke, these, these 10 verses, and I think we can learn a bit from his faith. Now, I could be wrong, but it appears to me that there only seems to be about two occasions only about two occasions in all of the Gospels where Jesus commends someone for their faith. Now, this seems to really stand out here. Now, I'll read, we'll read this verse again. Luke 7, verse 9, we read this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, the centurion. He turned to the crowd following him and he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Now, there's a statement, isn't it? I can see in this person great faith. He doesn't say it all the time into everybody. And bearing in mind, the centurion is not a Jew. In those days, the Roman centurion, he would have been an outsider, a Gentile. He was the the other people, you know, the ones that were of lesser importance. This would have been a profound statement for someone like Jesus to make within a Jewish crowd. Do you see what I'm saying? The other 
the other time, now, you may come up to me after the service and say, John, I think you're wrong, there is another, no, blah, blah. What I'm aware of, there's only one other occasion where Jesus specifically addressed a person and commended them for their great faith. And we find this in Matthew 15, verse 28. Matthew 15, verse 28. And this is a Canaanite woman. Canaanite woman, once again, she is not a Jew. She is a Gentile. She's the other type. Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith, your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, what, what stands out to you as we take a, a step back and go, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and out of all of that, two occasions where Jesus specifically goes to a person and says, I want to commend you for your great faith. It's significant. Both are Gentiles. They're deemed to be, to a certain extent, outsiders. One is a man and one is a woman. I think that's quite significant. It's as if God is saying, the faith that pleases God is open to all people from all nations, male or female. Not just for a select few or that you know, there's these important people that have got you know, extra revelation or vision or importance or place in heaven. It is open to everybody. Now, you could just, you could just imagine for, for Jewish people, particularly Jewish people who thought that they were pretty important to God, this would have been quite offensive to them, wouldn't it? That people outside of God's people would be commended for having great faith the gospel of jesus christ is not just for an exclusive people anyone can lay hold of god by faith and in this case in luke 7 as jesus said even more than what i found in israel that's a profound statement now i want us to just have a look at this centurion he's a fascinating person and he comes into this story and then we don't hear from him so it's just this moment of of 10 verses and i think we can learn three things about this particular person as he interacts with jesus and the first point is this as an effective servant of christ this is the centurion an effective servant of christ needs an exalted view of jesus as a servant of Jesus ourselves, we need an exalt, exalted view of him. Now, let's have a look at verse, the second part of verse 7 in chapter 7. The centurion says this, he says, simply say the word and my servant will be healed. All you need to do is say the word. Now, that's an exalted view of Jesus, is it not? That's all you need. Now, Let's have a look. This centurion, being centurion, basically meant he was in authority over a hundred soldiers. He had a high level of authority and responsibility. And so he understood the principles of authority. And if you're going to be a centurion um, in the Roman military, you needed to use that authority, didn't you? You don't pin to panda around and everything like that whatever words you say those words you mean because you've got responsibility over these hundred soldiers so he knew how to speak into authority 
He knew what it meant to speak and he knew what it meant to have his words obeyed. If soldiers didn't obey the centurion, you know, well, probably worse than that actually, but so he, he knew authority. But in the midst of all of this, as a Roman centurion, not a Jew, he could recognize Jesus as one with even greater authority. Now, can you see in all of this that he, he somehow knew that Jesus didn't have to be physically there, but all he needed to do was to say the word? Extraordinary level of faith. Now, I think that's an incredibly exalted view and Jesus recognized his exalted view beyond even Israel now as I was um, thinking about this sermon it got me thinking I go so this centurion didn't grow up with a, uh, a, a judo view of, of, of God he came from outside so where did he get his, his faith from now, we read this account, but we don't, we don't know the backstory. We don't know what it was like for him growing up and where he grew up and what sort of a childhood he had and how he got to the place that he did. But it, it doesn't seem like you can just suddenly have faith. It's just suddenly there. Now, we read also in the Bible, and let's, let's go to Ephesians, say, Ephesians chapter 2, and, and Paul's writing this, and he said... For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Now, um, when we were going through our Ephesians series a few months ago, it was actually, uh, I actually preached on this particular passage and we talked about this amazing uh, statement from Paul where the gift of God, is it, is it grace or is it faith? Well, essentially grace is is the gift and grace is the one that saves but faith is through the channel through which we receive grace it's a bit like the the hose that carries water water is the, is the is the the element that saves us it gives us thirst the the conduit or the hose is that which allows the grace to flow and it's our faith now there's a certain element where that is a gift as well but we're talking here about the gift of grace and it's through that faith we generally develop faith how well again paul in romans 10 verse 17 he says this romans 10 verse 17 he says faith comes from where do we develop faith hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about christ so we we hear the gospel the message of christ and it helps us to develop faith. And it seems God imparts faith through hearing about Christ. So what does this mean about the centurion? Well, let's go back, back to the story in Luke 7. Luke 7 verse 3, and we read, The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Okay, so he, he heard the story about Jesus. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speculate. Can you allow me a little to speculate here? In John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, I haven't got that up here, so you might have to remember that. John 4, 46 to 54, we read about how Jesus healed a royal official's son in where? In Capernaum, the same town. 
Now, Capernaum was just a, you know, a, a regional town. It wasn't this massive city. And you could imagine uh, a Roman centurion and a royal official in a small town probably know each other, wouldn't they? Now, whether this happened before or other, like I said, I'm, I'm speculating. Both men in government service, Jesus healed an official son. At a, the same kind of thing happened in, in, in John chapter 4. Jesus healed the official's son from a distance. Now, regardless of all of this, the centurion has heard about Jesus. And from this development, he has an exalted view of Christ, faith in Christ's authority. This is why I think it's so important for us to hear stories of faith, isn't it? Now, one of the, without doubt, one of the highlights of, of this last 2023 has been the baptisms that we've had uh, here in, uh, in this church. And to, to hear stories of faith, to hear about God's activity in the lives of people that would lead them to the point of making a statement of faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's important, isn't it? to hear that, to hear what God is doing, to hear the message in the gospel and to hear what God is doing. From this, we can see that the faith developed within the centurion, and it would have only been for a short period of time to have this exalted view of Christ. So I ask you this question, what is your view of Christ? Would you say you have an exalted view that he has authority over every single thing? And how does that help you live out your life? If you have this exalted view, like the centurion, where Christ has authority over everything, everyone, every situation, all of creation. Because I think that's pretty important for us as followers of Jesus, how we view Christ, isn't it? Now, in a very similar light to this, I want to go to the next point, which helps us in all of this as well. And the second point is this, an effective servant of Christ needs a lowly view of himself. Now, have a look at verse four and five. I, find, I found this fascinating. I've, I've read this passage many times. It's only when you sort of study this to preach it, it becomes more apparent. The Jewish leaders, if you notice here, they go to Jesus with this message. These are the elders that go on behalf of the centurion and ask Jesus to, to help them. Now, let's read this verse four and five again. When they came to Jesus, that's the, the Jewish elders, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now, once again, we see in all of this a couple of great qualities. A non-Jew was respected by the Jews. Can you see that? Quite often, Romans, they were despised by the Jews. The Jews loved this centurion. And 
Obviously, the love went back the other way for the centurion built them a synagogue. Now, it's not a Roman synagogue. It's, not, it's a Jewish synagogue. This is for the Jewish people. It shows some great qualities, does it not? Now, I find it fascinating that the, the Jewish elders said, he deserves to be listened to because he's been good to us. Now, think about that in terms of the gospel message. But anyway, that's the Jewish leaders pressing their case because of the blessing he was to them. I mean, do we deserve the attention of Jesus just because we've been good people? Anyway, but what I find fascinating is the Jewish leader says, this centurion deserves this. Let's move straight on to verses uh, 6 and on. When Jesus is on his way to the centurion's home, he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I, what? I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So, here's the quandary we have. Does the centurion deserve it or does he not deserve it? The Jewish people says yes, he says no. What's going on here? Tends to happen a bit, doesn't it? You look at Christians and you go, that person's a good Christian. He deserves to be blessed because our blessings depended upon our, our goodness. Is, is that the, what's written in the Bible, is it? But we do it, don't we? Don't we? We, we get encouraged by certain people and they, go, they, they deserve to have good things because they're just hard workers. And I, I want to tell you right now, it's, it's one of the big battles, particularly in upfront ministry, and I've been doing it both as a musician and as a pastor and a preacher and all that sort of thing. Stuff can go to your head. Let me tell you that. And I know you people are, are great, and I'm blessing you too, aren't I? Um, Will you come up and go, John, that was good, and John, great, blah, 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 and everything like that. You know what the great temptation is? It's for me to go, yeah, I'm, I'm good. How good am I? Pretty good. But I, I want to be, I, I be completely honest here. It's one of the great dangers in life and particularly in ministry it, it happens anywhere it happens within our workplace it happens within our community it happens with any of the the things that we do to contribute to society if we're not careful these things can go to our head it could have been quite easy for the centurion to go yeah i, I built a synagogue i'm in favor with the jewish people how good am i and it's a great danger and I, I admit that there have been times when I've fallen flat on my face because I've taken all the glory. We should never, ever take the glory. We can be encouraged and I appreciate when people encourage me and I've, I've learned over time that when people do that, I'm going, thank you God. Praise to him for what he has done. And you, you can see this in, in a similar way. The world sees someone who is worthy, but that person doesn't. Because I think quite often, in this case, the centurion knew his own heart. 
But the centurion had good reason to boast. He was a man of good faith. He was loved by the Jewish people. He was generous. He built the synagogue and he was compassionate towards his servant. You could even say that he could have boasted about his own humility. One person got it. (laughs) I am so good at humility. I reckon I'm the best in this room at being humble. Think about it. Here is this person. How do you grow in humility? We recognize our insufficiency and Christ's all sufficiency. The centurion recognized his helplessness and he saw Christ's all sufficiency. And I think some of it's got to do with the fact that here is a man with a lot of capacity and yet he could do nothing about his servant's illness. Sometimes that brings us to the point of realizing hang on, I may be a gifted person, but I don't have everything, do I? We come to the end of ourselves. To the fact where he could say to Jesus, just say the word. You know, false, false humility says, I can do nothing. That's, that's really a false humility. True humility, let's look at Paul. Once again, um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says this, amongst other things, he says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, is that humility or is that pride? It's a kind of boasting. It's a boasting in Christ. And and Paul also talks about that, that he could boast in Christ, not in his own strength. This is humility that says, I am completely, completely dependent upon Christ. And when I am in Christ, it's almost like the boundaries between myself and Christ are so blurred that it's just me and him. Whatever's done, it's done for his glory. So therefore, I can do all things because I'm in Christ. Now, I think that's, that, that is true humility, isn't it? Outside of Christ, pff, nothing. Paul nails it now what about us what is our view of ourselves do we feel like we deserve god's grace do we deserve special attention a bit like what the jewish leaders said about the centurion or as the centurion i don't deserve this but i'm coming to you out of desperation says the centurion just say the word An effective servant of Christ needs a lowly view of himself. So do we. And the the last point is this. So we've talked about we need an exalted view of, of Jesus. We need a lowly view of ourselves. And the third point we see in this passage is an effective servant of Christ needs a caring view of others. Look at the look at the centurion's attitude to the servant incredibly um, anxious to see this servant healed now think about in those days particularly someone who was in charge of a hundred soldiers a high level of authority he would have been quite wealthy and to have a slave um, you know only a few people had a slave and in those days they were commonly regarded as not much more than property so therefore if a slave got sick whatever discard that slave and get another one think about it just like you have with property if, if you have um, 
a piece of property that no longer works, you know, a, a car, a, a fridge, a TV or whatever, what do you do? Get rid of it, get another one, off we go. And essentially that's how the view of, of slaves were in those days. We just discard the, the slave, the piece of property and move on. Now, look at the centurion's attitude, verse 2. There, a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion had a choice. Yep, I can just move that servant on, get another one, and there's no problem. Now, some people could look at this and they go, well, he values him highly, probably because he was a highly productive servant. Some people could say that. But if that, was the, if that was his attitude and attitude only, I think Jesus would have called him out on that, wouldn't he? He would have called him out for having a, a poor attitude towards his servant. So we know that it's not just the fact that he got a high level of productivity out of his servant. It is somebody whom he cared for and he loved. I think we can see that quite clearly within this passage. We can see in this that Centurion's position had not gone to his head he valued what most others had discarded, so he approached Christ on the slave's behalf. He comes to Jesus and asks for help for his slave. And Jesus did not regard this slave as unimportant. Now, I think too often we, we look at people, now maybe, maybe you don't, but have you ever been caught by looking at somebody and going, oh, that person's hopeless? Hmm. Or sometimes we can be confronted with somebody and you go, oh, why would I bother with that person? Be because we have a, a view that this person is less important than others. To the same extent when there's somebody who's done a lot for us, a bit like the Jews and the centurion, they go, oh, this person's very important. I'm going to really focus on this person and give that person all my attention. Sometimes we need the eyes of Jesus. God often uses the despised within our community and uses them as trophies of his grace. People who have been at the very bottom, at the bottom of our community, God works through for his glory. I actually think this attitude is one of the great indicators of Christian maturity. I think as we move from our journey of accepting Christ as our Lord and move through to having an understanding of what he's done for us and how blessed we are and getting to pray and read the Bible and all that, which focuses a lot on ourselves, isn't it? We focus on what God's doing in us and how blessed we are and how, how we've been forgiven and we've received grace and we've received mercy and forgiveness. There's some point you would hope that as we grow in Christ, we would start to look outwards and see other people and their value as Christ would see them. Does that make sense? I, I think that is a, a marker of Christian maturity. Unfortunately, there are, there are people who walk most of their Christian lives and it's all about, about me. And I want to be blessed and I want to get everything that Christ has for me. But we see here the centurion is saying, no, I value other people people even who would be discarded what kind of servant are we 
And I just want to leave us with these three statements. And I want you to think about it in terms of your own life. What is your view of Jesus? Is it exalted? Do we see him as one who has authority over all things? And how does that inform our, our attitude? How does it inform our, our prayer life? How does it inform our, our interaction with others? An effective servant needs a lowly view of himself. Are we so desperate that we want to build ourselves up and say, hey, notice me, I'm, I'm important, I'm this or I'm that? We really have nothing to offer but our own lives. And an effective servant of Christ needs a caring view of others. How does that speak to us? Hudson Taylor, some of you may know the name Hudson Taylor. He was one of the pioneers of the missionary movement in China. And he wrote a number of, of, of books and had a number of writings. One that I came across uh, this week, he made this statement. He said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Contained within that statement, an exalted view of Jesus, yep. A lowly view of themselves, yes. And doing great things because of the passion they had for, for others. Hudson Taylor, I'm sure, would have been someone who Jesus would have commended for, their faith, for his faith. An exalted view of, of him, a lowly view of themselves, and a caring for others. What does that say to us? And I want to pause for a moment in prayer and then we're going to move into a time of communion which will just help, hopefully, help us to focus on the sufficiency of, of Christ. But I'm just wondering if we can just uh, close our eyes if that's, if that's helpful. And we just want to say, Heavenly Father, we... We thank you. We thank you that we have surrendered to the God who has endless authority, who have endless power, yet endless love, endless grace and compassion. I want to say, Heavenly Father, Forgive us for when we haven't exalted you into your right position. We haven't placed you on the throne. We've failed to trust. We've got frustrated and we've taken matters into our own hands instead of just waiting and trusting in you. Help us, Heavenly Father, in Jesus to recognize you in your rightful place as the one over all of creation with all authority, with all power. And Heavenly Father, we, we ask your forgiveness for times 
when we've tried to lift ourselves up into a wrong position. When we see ourselves as some kind of level of worth outside of you, that we take matters into our own hands, that we get wooed by praise or encouragement and to think that we've got something within ourselves. Help us just to trust in you and recognise that in you, like Paul says, we can do all things in you, dependent upon you. We thank you. We thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices but you call us just to walk and trust in you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us a a burning passion, a a love and and a care for those around about us. Give us eyes to see beyond our own circumstances, to see people the way you see people, people who are loved, people who are cared for, by you show us lead us and I want to pray Heavenly Father that as we spend this time now we would eat and drink eat a biscuit and drink from a cup as that time we spend this morning remembering what Christ has done for us, the breaking of his body, the shedding of of his blood, not just out of duty, but out of an immense love and compassion for us. And as we, we do this today, we drink from a cup and eat from a biscuit, what we're basically saying is we're identifying with you, Lord Jesus. We die to ourselves. It's no longer we who live, but Christ, it is you who lives in us. Strengthen us and guide us. And we worship you as one with all authority. And we trust in you all of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name.